Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never even knew you had. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 3, Diablo. And in this episode, our Lucifer finally returns to Earth to set things right, but everything escalates so much worse than thought possible, while we get to look at a hilarious TV show within the TV show. It's an extremely funny episode. Yes, but it's also extremely cringy in parts. For sure, but in general, there is so many things that made me laugh, and I'm gonna go through them. There are a lot of quotes that I've put down, and I can't wait to get through all of this. It's so good. But before we go through with it, we have to obsess. Oh, yeah, we have the obsession of the week. I'm sorry, I completely forgot that comes in so quickly. My obsession week for the was Chloe because even though Lucifer was claiming he is here to clean up all Michael's messes he predominantly focuses on the situation with Chloe which is understandable because that seems to be the most serious bit and now we have the inverted situation that we had in episode one because my gut feeling was Chloe and I was like nah that's way too easy and so instead I went with fixing Michael's influence But I didn't go with my gut feeling and thus it's not a match. Ah, terrible. So now both of us fucked it up once. Yeah, let's blame each other. At least now the blame is evenly distributed. This week we of course have wonderful facts and funs. I did not include all of the stuff from IMDb because holy shit was there a lot. And holy shit was some of it wild. So if you are of the persuasion, yay, weird IMDb facts are my thing, I highly recommend checking out the trivia section this time. But I'm gonna focus on the not-so-wild ones. We have fifth-time director Claudia Yarmi. Her previous episode was Super Bad Boyfriend. She has one more episode to come. We have seventh-time writer Mike Costa. Previous episode was Expire Erect. He has two more episodes. I love Mike Costa. And I took a peek and one of the two episodes is in season five and it's one of my favorites, so I can't wait. The title is said by way too many characters in this episode and also by the title card, so not counting it as said by Lucifer, which gives us zero out of three. Lucifer really needs to start catching up with saying the title. Then, of course, we have one fact that our listeners obviously know, which is that Detective Dancer is, of course, the originally intended name for Chloe before it got changed to Decker. Fun side note, the prop badge number of Dancer is 66961. So we have 666 in there, we have 69 in there, and number one, which is all very, very nice. This is a curiously clown-heavy episode. The opening scene is set in a killer clown hell loop. Ella, at some point, wears a t-shirt with a smiling clown face on it, reading Big Clown Energy, which in nowadays Twitter culture gives me very different vibes. (laughs) 
it's not that long ago. It probably is connected. <laughs> but Ella doesn't strike me as an internet clown. The season one episode five binder is titled Insane Clown Pasties. And the storyboard in the Diablo writer's room has a case that is set at a clown convention. If you want to know more about the details on the storyboards, you need to listen to my Devils in the Detail where I go into a freeze frame frenzy to give you everything that I could gather from the storyboards. Last but not least, titled Easter Egg by IMDb, but honestly impossible to miss, the corpse of Lieutenant Diablo's co-showrunner Mad Owens bears a striking resemblance to Lucifer's co-showrunner Joe Henderson. But I have to point out that IMDb makes an explicit effort to include in physical appearance and career not management style. Aww. I'm sorry, are they saying that that corpse was not Joe Henderson? Because I was convinced that was Joe. At least he isn't credited for it, and I don't think it's him. Yeah, it looks very much like him. I thought it was him. We can ask him. We can ask him. And that very nice Easter egg concludes the facts and funds for this week. Whew. So, a lot has happened previously, so uh, let's take a look at it. Previously on Lucifer. Lucifer is looking after hell so the demons don't come back for Charlie. Mace has been feeling left behind by a number of people. Dan is coping by embracing a lot of new age crap and Michael complimented his bracelet to prove a point to Chloe. Speaking of Michael, he's been impersonating Lucifer and raking havoc all over Lucifer's life. Chloe recognizes him as not Lucifer, so he tells her she's a gift from God and Ames goes to hell to bring Lucifer back. I don't think I've said Lucifer that many times ever before on previously on. At least not this season. Definitely not this season. (laughs) So I hope I didn't miss any characters that actually have anything important happened to them, staring at Ella and Trixie. We start this episode pretty much right where we left off, just not outside in the hallway of hell, but in a loop room. In a loop room, yeah. I was wondering why Lucifer, who is Lucifer afraid, is gonna overhear the conversation that can't be inside the room but can be in the halls. I don't think he's afraid of it being overheard. I think he just doesn't like being outside in hell. Because in episode one, we see him hanging out in Lee's room. Here, he prefers to have the conversation in Kenneth's room. I don't think he actually likes being in hell when hell looks like hell. That is actually not surprising at all because it can be probably quite not great. And he has spent way too many hours and days and years in there. Centuries. Millennia. Yes, we actually have a confirmation in this episode that he's been there for, well, thousands of years at the very least. And he didn't change. He didn't change. Shocking, right? But he has this wonderful conversation with Amenadiel trying to downplay the potential havoc that Michael could create on everyone and he refers to a menadiel giving michael atomic wedgies which i find absolutely hilarious how would you even do that i'm pretty sure you have to be an angel to even be able to imagine what this would look like this starts a big series of my writing down quotes It's nearing the end of the scene and Aminadil decides to finally share what's happening in heaven, which I don't really understand why he never brought up before. Because this seems like a pretty serious situation with Michael singling himself out and being the only one who talks to dad. It just feels like out of nowhere. And then 
He has become untouchable, Emmanuel says at the end. And Lucifer's response is, well, he's not in heaven now, so excuse me while I'll go touch him. And I just had to stop the episode to laugh. I actually had to write this down as well, because excuse me while I go touch him was perfection. So good. And then, of course, immediately he stops himself and says, I know how this sounds. You know what I mean. Or something like that. Just like, thank you for acknowledging it. I mean, what is a little bit of incest between celestial brothers? Right? I mean, Eve was made out of Adam. So (laughs) isn't that already incest? A little bit, yeah. And then he leaves Aminadil behind. Exactly. Most importantly, I get proven right. Because Aminadil has to stay behind to watch hell. Which is what I proposed as a temporary solution from the get-go. So I was very proud of myself and I'm patting myself on the shoulder. I am proud of you too, Lina. Very much so. You're doing great. <laughs> a great job. I know. Thank you. So now we have Amenadiel guarding hell, standing in the middle of a clown room as a song, a clown song starts to play as two of course. clown demons come out called System of a Clown, which... Oh Only now, looking at it written down, I realize that it's probably a play on System of a Down. Maybe? Why was this not your devil's into music? Because I had other plans. It is by Martin Tillman and William V. Malpete, and it is on our playlist. And it's one creepy of a song. You know, this is gonna be my go-to if I'm gonna edit some creepy, creepy video for Gish. I'm gonna use that playlist that entire album that this is from as a background music to it because everything I hate about clowns is in this song. The sounds, the laughter, the... Ew, ew, ew. So I wrote it down as a potential switcheroo segment song. Very good. And as this is playing in hell, we swap over to the precinct and get another song by Kazmeos. While Lucifer is walking down the stairs in the precinct, inhaling, we get a song called Are You Ready? And yes, we are ready. I was very much a fan of Lucifer going straight to work. Also, him appreciating the smell within the precinct is a wonderful contrast to Amenity on episode one coming in and going, what's that stench? So, well done. Lucifer gives us this beautiful smile when he first sees Chloe. There is just so much happiness and and warmth coming from his face. It's also bittersweet with pain and longing. But it's so nice. And then he approaches Chloe and her first reaction is, oh no, this is Michael. Fuck you, Michael. Go away. I told you to go away. Which, mwah. If it wasn't clear enough the first four times I shot you. I mean, come on. She is perfect. I adore her. I love her. This is wonderful. But also, poor Lucifer. This must hurt so bad that she doesn't recognize him until he uses the desire power. I think he kind of expected that. It still hurts. Probably. When he calls her his clever detective that she figured it out and she goes, oh, well, but it took a while. It's just such a beautiful, heartwarming debate there. And once Chloe realizes it's actually Lucifer, she hugs him. And that is so, so sweet. And I didn't expect it because my assumption was that she had believed Michael when he told her the whole gift of God thing. But apparently she's in denial until in the interrogation scene. Yeah, Lucifer's reaction to the hug is 
Oh my god. Mm. They hurt us a lot in this scene. He seems to be kind of, I'm on the mission, I'm trying to convince you that I'm Lucifer and, you know, fix whatever Michael's done. And then she hugs him and he relaxes for like a little second. We go over into the interrogation room for some privacy and he calls her my clever detective with this beautiful touching of her face and cheek and everything. We have some banter with Michael is a liar. What did he tell you? Elvis is still alive. Only I know where he is and everything. And it's very cute and very light. And Chloe displays this relief that everything he told her must have been a lie. Because one of those things was so ridiculous and she shares that whole gift of God thing. And of course Lucifer won't lie. Especially not to her. But in general Lucifer will not lie. And Lord German really kills this process on her face from the levity of oh yeah everything was bullshit to why aren't you saying anything to might this actually be true and what does it mean and then getting angry for not having been told yes but now lina this is your moment because finally as you were calling for since pretty much season two since this gets revealed Chloe now has all the information so she can finally make her decision yeah but she got pretty much all the information in the worst possible ways and this is going to have a huge influence and we're going to talk about this in the last scene when she shouts at Lucifer because just having all the information is not the only thing it also matters how you get the information well you didn't specify that he had all the chances and he didn't take them see the thing is and Lucifer says this pretty sure in this scene he says at some stage in this episode I didn't tell you because I knew it would have hurt you and I didn't want to hurt you and look at yourself now you know and you're hurt so I was right it's not his choice to make but let us talk about this at the end of the episode when we have more dialogue between those two well this dialogue gets briefly interrupted by Daniel bringing in the bracelet and telling them about the body of course Dan is where too precious for this world. Dan is my beautiful shining light of hope in this episode. I love everything about Dan and I appreciate the fuck out of him. Yes. So Chloe jumps on the case to get out of the rest of this conversation and Dan leaves them alone because he notices that he probably interrupted something and Lucifer, in order to try to convince her to stay, he says, but you're the only reason I'm here and Chloe's reaction brilliantly says, well, apparently you're the only reason I'm here. Burn. Cuts deep. And as she goes off, we are left with uh, Lucifer standing there and we get a very rare God from him. He doesn't say that. He says, oh God. Nice. I actually missed that one. So off to the crime scene. Off to the Warner Brothers studios because... Dan says Warner Brothers, we see the tower, so it actually might be the Warner Brothers Studios. Well, this is where they shoot Lucifer anyway, right? So it makes sense. So my first note on this scene is, is this actually Joe Henderson for the corpse? We're gonna put it on the list. Yes, we've had this debate, but this was literally what I thought. And 
me appreciating the meta stuff, especially on Lucifer as a TV show, they are amazing when they're self-conscious and when they're taking a piss out of themselves. It's always excellently done. So I was very much excited about this episode when I saw Josie or Joe-looking corpse lying on the ground. My uh, most important note in this beginning scene of the Warner Brothers Studios is why is no one listening to Ella when she talks about herself? Yep. And this is the episode where my exasperation with this is switching over into actual anger and fucking being annoyed by this. So they either fix this next episode or this is gonna be one of my main complaints the entire season. It already is. So uh, Lucifer wants to really talk to Chloe about this whole situation, so he decides that he should tag along the case. He can help because he knows that corpse. Exactly. We have that classic Chloe saying something in a sense, well, you can't always just show up and offer an easy solution because, you know, that's not how it always works with you. And he turns around and says, oh, I actually know the corpse. So he's offering the easy solution. It's very good. And then we get a thing pointed out it's a big billboard and it's actually the same billboard that they used for season one i believe except with tom ellis being replaced by diablo and it says diablo and then we cut to the title card that also says lieutenant diablo and i'm just so excited about this this is just so good and the subtitle of course is devil made me do it though let's be honest lucifer knowing matt owens doesn't help the case at all well it gives us access to some of the information quicker. Come on, Carrie is so oversharing and competent and Dancer is so overly active trying to mislead us. I claim Chloe would not have needed Lucifer for this case to solve it quicker. Of course she wouldn't, but Lucifer has information, so he's there. I know, and he has to be there and everything. So we get our wonderful title card and continue inside the Warner Brothers studio. And as we do that, we get a song which is actually the one that I did my Devils in the Music on this week called We Are Legends by Valley of Wolves. And we get horrible, horrible, horrible dialogue for the Diablo TV show. Wow, if that is meant to be an overdrawn image of Lucifer, boy, do they like to make fun of their own work. The clapping alone and the collective laughter at the detective doofus and every single little bit in this. The grabbing the award, the innuendo, the look right into the camera. Also, all of these actors are so bad, which is very impressive because to be so bad as an actor within a show, in a show, you actually have to be a decent actor. My heart was just singing because I love when they do telly consciously on telly because it's always so over the top just to kind of distinguish it from the normal acting and it's always hilarious. And as I have mentioned before, Lucifer writers do an excellent job when they're going meta every single time. They know their shit. They know their shit. Thankfully, though, this taping comes to an end and Lucifer and Decker get to talk to Diablo and Dancer while at the munchies table. And while, because of COVID, everything in me goes when thinking of sharing this food table with people, the food looks amazing and I want it. <laughs> 
Were you by any chance hungry when you were making the notes? Yes, my food arrived 15 minutes later. <laughs> Very good. At least you thought ahead. Yeah, we get this great conversation between the two pairs and... Oh my god! There is just so much. It's so good. Chloe is projecting herself on the two of them and Lucifer finds just everything extremely funny. He's dissing the vape, which made me so happy because I hate vaping. Or let me rephrase. Normal vaping, I don't care. Scented special vaping, I hate. It's just why. And then, <laughs> then they drop the yearning. Oh my god. And Lucifer just goes, isn't there a better word for that? And Diablo just goes, no. What did make me happy was dancer answer. Dance? Oh, dancer answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. That made me ridiculously happy. She's right. People need to fucking listen to Chloe. She is a very good detective. Yeah, at least in Lucifer, but apparently not in Diablo. So at the very end of this conversation, after Chloe and Lucifer leave, Diablo says something and Dancer just gives him this look like, oh, Jesus, like rolls her eyes and leaves or exasperates and I just kind of noticed that I'm like she seems a little bit smarter than she posed herself to be when she was talking to him but like you know I kind of like her <laughs> so that was my initial reaction to, to that exasperation. I was so focused on Diablo because he's so cute in like a, a puppy way because he definitely isn't the smartest cookie in the jar. Smartest cookie in the jar. By far not but he's kind of sweet and kind of well-intentioned and stuff like well-meaning. I couldn't fucking stand him. He was annoying me so much. I kind of have a soft spot for him, especially later when he has the matches that he stole from a crime scene and he's so proud of himself. So I didn't pay much attention to Dancer in this moment. But now that I watched this episode the second time, yes, this is the first red flag because her exasperation with him doesn't fit her no, this job is so amazing and now strippers are considering to become detectives. So I know that you hate this word, but she is presenting herself in this scene as like a bimbo. And then that little moment at the end of this scene kind of reveals that there's a little bit more to her, which I appreciated at the time because I was like, I like that there's more to her character than what she is presenting herself to be. The thing is, both of them are presenting themselves how they are also acting as their character respectively and with Diablo it seems to be honest because he doesn't seem smart enough to play anyone but himself but she actually is a decent actress and so she is playing a role and this is the moment where her mask slips basically ever so slightly so we can head over to the therapy session because I don't want to stick on those two because we're going to talk about them quite a lot I'd say in the future scenes so we see Linda for the first time in this episode and her reaction to the fact that Lucifer left a mini deal in hell is brilliant. It's just like, sorry, so you left Emmanuel, the father of my child, in hell. And then Lucifer finally catches on like, oh. She actually says a whole bunch of things in this scene that are interesting to me. She also doesn't say a whole bunch of things in this scene, which was also interesting and very annoying. And this is why I refuse your parallel between Ella and Linda, because Ella wants to share and nobody is listening and Linda doesn't want to share. 
and nobody is noticing. Both need to share. No argument there. But Ella wants to and can't and Linda doesn't want to but should. Yeah, that's well put because she says try empathizing, try really listening to what your friends are saying. And it feels like she is trying to get him to ask her about what's happening because she does have a remark regards to hell earlier before that. She so often has reference to several people that she is going to hell and nobody has taken the time to actually ask. But she doesn't go over the top. She needs someone to prod. Ella is basically standing there waving a flag like, can somebody please talk to me and pay attention? And nobody does. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, I was like, well, Lucifer, Linda is right on one hand you should listen to all the people but you should actually listen to all people because as much as I love that he actually tries to talk to Chloe and listen to Chloe and everything she is not the only person Michael interacted with and he should be more perceptive in my opinion but also Chloe always is his main focus and he is so preoccupied with everything that is going on there it is not surprising that he doesn't have the space the issue that he is trying to solve with Chloe is a big one that he is focusing on and it's taking up a lot of his mind yep but it's gonna bite him in the as as we see in the last scene we'll talk about it when we get there i really appreciate linda going even more direct in her therapy approach because she explicitly very directly tells lucifer what he has to do but of course lucifer being lucifer still doesn't understand what she's what she's trying to tell him even though she explicitly says what she's trying to tell him i wouldn't even call it a therapy anymore it it just felt like a conversation between two friends where linda is telling him what to do and yet it didn't stick But she's trying her very best. So I'm actually very much with Linda. I'm not a fan of her not facing her issues. As I have talked about repeatedly in the past, I expect better from her because of her character and her profession. But also I am aware that especially when you are in this profession, it is very easy to not follow your own professional knowledge and advice and processes. But still, I want better of her. And this is actively making her slide down the list of favorite characters. Which, of course, Dan is on number one. And I cannot see anything happen to him that is going to change this, especially after this episode. And we head to the writer's room where Chloe is talking to the number two. (laughs) I love Carrie so much. Carrie is brilliant. I was wondering for a brief moment if this is their actual real writer's room because that'd be fucking cool if we get to see where the writers are working. We get a lot of the whiteboards that you have already mentioned in here. Yes, if you want all the details. I say it again, devils in the details. But for those of us who are not patrons of Level Believer or higher, there are some fun titles that get revealed in this scene and a later scene, which are Lieutenant Diablo, Devil Made Me Do It, Cocksure, The Devil's Pawns, Insane Clown Pasties and Devil's Night Out. Lovely. And this moves us through the case a little bit further. I didn't write any notes on that. Oh, I did because it is such perfection that Carrie, as a writer for a detective show and many other TV police dramas, obviously knows that she is the first choice because she had motive, she had opportunity. So, duh, they're gonna come talk to her. And she actually proves to be quite helpful with the information that she provides. But now, finally, we have the penthouse scene and Lucifer is mourning his piano. Called it! (laughs) Incorrectly accusing Michael 
of breaking this and not Mace. Because he doesn't know. And nobody is telling him. Nobody is telling him. Yeah. What a scene. He will find out. Well, actually, he doesn't find out because Mace doesn't tell him that she is the one who fucked up his piano. No, she's too busy punching him. Precisely. And we get a beautiful fight scene between the two of them, which ends with Chekhov's demon blade. One of the Mace's blades gets stuck in the very ancient and very broken wall over the last years. Which also is a script error because later in a scene Mace is on a couch with Linda and has both knives with her oh I thought that she only has one nope both of them are lying next to her and then later of course this is the knife that is being used so they fucked up with the continuity I was very intrigued by the fact that this pummeling by Mace fares so very different than the first pummeling between Mace and Michael because Mace dominated Michael in that fight And this time around, she has a very little chance and only manages to hurt Lucifer because he's actively not fighting back. So this I find very interesting, especially later in the episode when we have the fight between Lucifer and Michael. Lucifer is so obviously the stronger one, the dominant one between the two of them, which of course leads me to my main question. How the fuck did Lucifer lose to Michael? Did he? You mean like after the uh, in the rebellion? Well, I would say it's because they were other factors. It wasn't just one-on-one. So that I found very, very interesting. But the most important part in the scene, of course, is the dialogue. Yep. So after Mace leaves, we move on with the case to follow another clue. Go to the motel. To the pink motel. To the pink motel. And we get another song that is actually, for the second time in the history of this series, a repeat song. It is by Stella and the Storm. (laughs) It's called Don't Let Me Down. And let me tell you, they are really beating this sixth song wonder dead. They're using it as much as they can. It has been used in Oh Ye of Little Faith Father in season 4 episode 3 and it has been used again so it's already been on our playlist so we only have a few songs this week actually adding and expanding our playlist I made a point in saying Pink Motel because the Pink Motel is an actual location and is located in the San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles IMDB and thus my notes have the actual address and is advertised as a fully functional retro movie set and props available for rent for film, TV, commercials, etc. They advertise that the rooms may be remodeled as needed for production. There is a room 18 at the Pink Motel available for use, but based on photos available online showing the interior design and colors of walls and floor, the room that was used for this episode was actually room 12, which was then called room 18 for this episode. The motel is next to Cadillac Jack's Cafe, another movie set that can be rented for films. Several films and TV shows have used it as a location, such as Vanderpump Rules, Dexter, Drive, the Netflix series Glow, with the motel being repainted and renamed The Dusty Spur. Ooh, fun. Which reminds me, I still need to catch up on the last season of Glow. Every single time in this episode, Lucifer shows up anywhere. My brain instantly goes, and this was the case when I was doing the first watch as well. My brain instantly goes, what if this is Michael? Oh, wow. Okay. Every single time, because I was just, because binging mode and whatever, I was just paranoid as 
fuck. So classic me. However, this is not Michael. This is actually Lucifer. So he catches up with Chloe and he shares his therapy idea, which is tell me what to do and I will do it. I have to listen to you, which, you know, is not that bad, to be honest. At, at least he's communicating that he doesn't really know what to do and he needs help. And, you know, he is expressing that he will obey Chloe's needs if she expresses those. It's a coping me- mechanism, I suppose. Which, of course, puts all the pressure and responsibility on the other party, which is a whole problem in and on itself. Yeah, we can talk about that when they actually address it later on. But turns out Chloe and Lucifer are not the only ones investigating this. From the ashes of the hell, whatever, I'm just gonna stop. Yeah, we get Diablo and Dancer (laughs) showing up. From the darkest pit of hell, Diablo rises to solve this murder case. Through the flames he walks. And the flames of damnation wait for whoever killed his dear friend Matt because she, the devil himself, is on the case with his trusty sidekick, Dancer, who got her chance on his side to fight evil and crime. That's what you were going for? Yes, essentially, that you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) I had to make something up for, so... Beautiful. It's beautiful. This is definitely staying. This is like the best description of entrance. It's like you have read it from the script itself. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, they show up and my note is Dancer Dancer seems way less porny in this scene than she felt in the first scene that she showed up. I mostly noticed that her dialogue skills are awesome because her and Chloe are perfectly in sync. Very good. Also... Diablo and Lucifer are imperfect thing because they do the exact same things except mirrored. They move the same, but Chloe and Dancer are talking perfectly in sync, which freaks and annoys Chloe so, so much, which of course makes it extremely entertaining. I obviously have to point out that Diablo claiming force of habit after only seven episodes? Sure... But all in all, the paralleling in this scene is done very, very well. It's very cute. And Diablo is perfectly annoying in everything that he does and as he is supposed to be. So yes, he is annoying, but I enjoyed it. And we end this scene with Chloe kicking everybody out, including Lucifer. And him listening to that. Yeah, because she shares that she feels overwhelmed, which is a reaction to Lucifer asking her to tell him what to do. So she says, get out of here because I feel overwhelmed. I need to deal. I need to cope. Which is, you know, is not an active thing to tell him you need to behave this way or whatever. But it is sharing a feeling which is actually productive. It's the best she can do and I'm very proud of her. Because saying I need you gone is perfectly valid. I need my space. I need time. Please go away. Perfect. I'm very proud of Chloe because this is a very healthy dealing. And as you already said, I am extremely proud of Lucifer as well because he actually listens. I did not expect that, to be honest. I actually did because he wanted to hear this or he wanted to hear something and now he just needs to follow his own rules, essentially pretty sure he was hoping for something more concrete. Well, of course he was hoping for something more precise, but this also works. It's better than nothing, sure. Speaking of better than nothing... 
we go into the precinct and of course Ella is the one where you go when you have the big questions. So talking about free will and predetermination and fate because obviously those are easy questions that you just talk with everyone about. Chloe goes to Ella to ask these questions. And Ella helps. I only wish Chloe would talk to Ella in this way when she's actually not wrapped up in her own shit. Because I feel like they both would benefit from a conversation that would be more open with each other and more perceptive from both sides. I wish Chloe would talk with Ella and not at Ella. Yes, that is very well put. But while this huge question conversation is happening, Ella's phone dings and Chloe being uncharacteristically noisy checks the phone and sees a tattooed penis, which I find hilarious. It's great and her reaction says, oh, this seems familiar. Talking about tattooed penises, we transition out of... (laughs) the laboratory but we stay in the precinct and Dan being too precious for this world starts a conversation with Lucifer and Lucifer realized oh wait speaking of cosmic impotence which of course paired with the tattooed penis is just beautiful writing so Mike Costa I do hope we get to meet you at some point in the future because I have questions wouldn't that be lovely wouldn't it be nice to <clears throat> no, wouldn't sorry. it be nice to be together oh no I was in a different song I know that's why I offered a better one yeah so we move out of the lab and as entertaining as all of this is I was very very sad that Lucifer is being so mean to Dan because Dan is really trying he's really reaching out and he's trying to be supportive and I'm very as annoyed as I was with Lucifer in this moment the payoff to this is amazing so this setup is so worth it it's great because Lucifer is coming into this conversation from the point where Dan went months and months attacking him consistently going after him every moment he got and They didn't have a really chance to reconcile before Lucifer went to hell. And it's been thousands of years for him, so he doesn't really have it in him to care about Daniel. I think he's too preoccupied with caring for Chloe and dealing with Chloe to even give him the time of day. I also don't think that he has any hard feelings towards Dan. This is their bro language. I feel like he's just uninterested in the banter that they usually have. Yeah, but cosmic impotence is part of their banter. But the fact that Dan is kind of pushing through and keeps on pushing. So Lucifer sending Dan away, is it makes sense to me. It is hurtful. Yeah, but the payoff is worth it. Yes, you're right. And at the end of the scene, we learn that unlike Lucifer, Diablo does lie. Wow! Shocking. Absolutely shocking. We go back to the Warner Brothers studios. And he's dead! Speaking of shock, I completely forgot this happened. I did not see this coming. Neither the first time nor the second time. Really liked it. And this moment just got better and better and better because then Ella comes out of the trailer with like, hey, I found a murder weapon. And this is the only blade that can kill the devil. And she stabs Lucifer with it. It's brilliant. And as hilarious as this moment is, 
it gets even better in the next scene because we join Linda and Mace on the couch watching Diablo. So technically this is the equivalent of Lux, right? Hades is Lux. So we are in Hades at the start of the scene. So we have to have a song, obviously. Nice. So they keep that going. Keep that going. It's a song by Jay Pryor, remixed by Tim Hawks, and it's called So What? Nice. But then the camera zooms out and we realize that we're actually watching a TV screen. And we learn that Maze's version in Diablo is a huge black muscly man called Blaze. And Maze is so into this. Her first reaction is it's like looking into a mirror. So in this scene, I have sort of realized that Maze is not as mad as she is mostly sad and lonely. And it kind of broke my heart seeing her like that. And she has this conversation with Linda that fucking destroyed me again, where she says, you know, you're gonna die soon as well in what, like five years or something. And Linda's like, how old do you think I am? And Maze's reaction is like, I don't know, 30? So her idea of human life is completely out there. It's so good. But it also makes so much sense because obviously as an immortal being, she wouldn't really have the perception of a human life. But most importantly, Linda once again references this certainty that she's going to hell, which doesn't get addressed in this moment. But thankfully, as is so often the case in this episode, has a payoff later, at least in parts. And also she makes a very clear and very accurate assessment of Maze's psychological situation, which is abandonment issues. And Maze, being Maze, goes, well, can't be that because I didn't have anyone important in my youth. And it's like, yeah, girl, that's why you have them. Ta-da! Yes. So my big note on Linda is she's known these people and she's been around them for years and she clearly wants to talk about this in some way at some stage to somebody. I can kind of understand it because I have put myself in a similar situation many times when there is something I need and I want to talk about, but I can't just bring myself to bring it up unless somebody specifically asks me. So yes, I get it, but also she should know by now that they will not ask. These people do not do that. This is also the scene where we have the script error because Maze has both knives next to her on the couch. But to get rid of the heaviness of this scene, we go back to the screen and Blaze has a conversation with Dr. Belinda, who is a sexual therapist. If you listen to my devil to the details, that's where you learn that. And so Blaze says, I'm ready for my treatment. And then they make out. It's brilliant. I literally wrote down Diablo show is so fucking wild. I will watch it. I would definitely watch it. Just to see where it's gonna take me. This is like, I need this in my life. But back to the crime scene again. Dan is being super helpful. As always, because he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Do you remember no. in one of the... <sighs> Do you remember this super obscure... Oh, in season 5 part 8, there are so many parallels and mirrors. Oh, and... yeah. So this is now the second episode with space being referenced because last episode we had the Mars mission and now we have Diablo has a crime in space. Oh, it's one of the couple things. Yeah. I remember, definitely remember this completely relevant and believable.
unbelievable fun fact from IMDb. This is now one of the prizes that were claimed and it gets proven right. So I'm going to keep my eye out. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not intentional. Oh, it's definitely intentional. I just, again, I didn't see any pears. The fruit. I didn't see any pears. And supposedly every episode has pears in it. And I didn't see any. I forgot I was supposed to be looking out for that. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> Our listeners need to tell us if there are pears. And the PA chain situation is revealed and Dan gets to the bottom of this and we go over to Carrie's office to confront her because, you know, she's clearly the murderer even though she is not. That was so obvious to me that Carrie cannot be the murderer because if she was, she wouldn't have the murder weapon in her shelf thingy. It felt way too much like a setup. She's too smart to have the murder weapon in her room. So either it's a setup or she would have hidden the murder weapon somewhere else. I think that this is something that Chloe would have clocked if she weren't so preoccupied and I think that she subconsciously actually did and that's why she ends up spending so much time with Dancer I don't think it's conscious at all I think she's spending so much time with Dancer later on because of her self-association with Dancer maybe it is possible it is definitely possible maybe both let's be Dora the Explorer and say both is good both is good also apparently in this scene is where I noticed that Lucifer is not noticing or realizing that him not telling Chloe about being a gift is one of the issues Chloe has with this. It's not just the fact that she's a gift from God, but also that he knew for so long and didn't tell her. And he doesn't realize this. And this is part of the final confrontation that we're gonna talk about at the end. Next scene, I only have one line, which is too easy. She's too smart. Can't be her. Oh, it's uh, office still. Yeah. Oh, why do I have this? Oh, because Lucifer not realizing that him not telling us the issue was outside. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Ooh, bad me, bad. I have both of it as a one scene, so... Oh, I switched inside and outside. So, okay, <laughs> next up, precinct. We are good at this. Precinct, and this is the payoff to the setup earlier. Yes, this is one of my favorite scenes of this entire episode. It's beautiful because then Dan goes on and on about the New Age crap. And Lucifer just gets exhausted by it and like lashes out a little bit. Calls it ridiculous. And Dan does the perfect thing. He just levels with Lucifer. He sits down and says, you know what, this all may be bullshit, but it makes me feel better. And it helps me cope. It helps me keep a positive mindset, which in fact is one of the most important things to deal with life. And I also have been one of these vocal people that this esoteric new age stuff is utter bullshit and everything. But Dan's approach with the, yes, I am aware, but it doesn't matter because it helps. Because of his awareness, this approach, in my opinion, is incredibly healthy and perfectly acceptable. It was beautiful. And this is, you know, that's the thing. If it helps, it just helps. There's really nothing else to it. As long as it's not hurting another person and it's helping you, there's nothing else to talk about. Yeah. 
You do you. And especially when you have the awareness that he is now exhibiting that, yeah, duh, of course, I'm not gonna get strength and hope and vitality because I burn incense. But that doesn't matter because that's not the point. The point is the positive mindset I get from this. And the beautiful thing about this is the fact that Lucifer realizes it. He hears it. He really hears it. And he stops and says, okay, you know what? Give me the bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> this is so good because by him taking the bracelet makes them best friends forever. Their friendship is blossoming. They're, it's actually real friendship. Like this is not just one taking the piss out of the other anymore. This is not one being pranked constantly and, you know, it, there's nothing else. So it's, this is their relationship. This is their friendship and it is accepted with both sides and it's beautiful. It just made my heart all warm and tingly and also Lucifer would not have taken it if he didn't mean it because that's Lucifer and that makes it all the better. And so obviously I'm gonna have to keep an eye out if he's actually wearing it. And of course the scene ending with both of them looking at each other because Lucifer is still reading the script. Like, oh, it's such a shame, it never gets made. And my expectation was completely off because I thought he had just realized something relating to the case. Oh, I thought they were gonna go attack the set and try to get it done, actually. I expected Lucifer to think of something case-related, but no, no. And we're gonna see it in a moment. But first, we have to cut very shortly over to the Warner Brothers studio because Chloe needs to empathize with Dancer. And again, I have another note where Dancer seems way less dumb than she did previously. It feels like she is presenting herself smarter and smarter with each scene that we get to see her. She is slipping. It's like she's dropping an act. Wait a minute. I just remembered. Well fucking done. Those are my notes. <laughs> But before we learn the twist, we have to go back to the precinct. And oh my god, I forgot this. Why isn't Lucifer reading Diablo? Because Lucifer in the past has tried to play Chloe and Chloe played Lucinda. This made perfect sense. But no, I actually <laughs> asked the same question. I think it's brilliant. Though. I forgot that this happened and I love it. It's so good. And dance flat delivery of the lines and Lucifer going the actor is dead you're not <laughs> <sighs> I love it so much and then Ella comes in and she goes like what you're playing a Diablo episode without me so fucking on point because they are leaving her out of everything <gasps> <laughs> and then Ella notices all the notes on the character within the script and Lucifer goes like wait a minute ooh see he was smarter than we thought he'd be and then like no 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 wait a minute it can't have been her it has to be someone else and then da -da -dum, it's obvious it has to be Dancer and with this knowledge we go back to the Warner Brothers studios to Hades do we get a song? there's no song it's dead no! silent 
It sometimes happens when we have dramatic things happening in Lux. That actually makes sense because in the show, oh, ooh, meta. Ooh, it's all happening. I mean, I'm glad that they call the club Hades and not Light or something. Yes, it makes sense. And Hades is great because it's a reference to another hell dimension. Yes, well said. You're complete me today. <laughs> I know. My, you complete my language. My wording is on point today. Very much so. Nothing else was since I forgot that we're recording today. Uh, yeah, well, happens. And so Dancer slips more and more and more and she starts badmouthing the work which she seemed so proud of previously. I think Chloe either subconsciously or accidentally solved the murder about three sentences into this conversation. Yeah, this is where she is like, ah, gotcha. The motive gets delivered. Now I'm free. And she was already doubting the motives with Carrie. You know, with everything, she already has been Chloe with her spidey sense that something is off about this case. And Dancer just delivers her, the motive and everything on a silver plate. And then we get a wonderful fight between Decker and Dancer. I have a note for everybody who's listening to this. Please do not, I feel like we've talked about this before, but please do not ever, ever, ever break a bottle like that unless it's a prop because this is not how it breaks. Usually it breaks along the side and it's gonna break in your hand. Yeah, exactly. You don't end up holding the end of it. It shatters in your hand and you end up with stitches. Yay. But the fight is amazing. The fight is great. Especially since we get more dialogue and then, of course, Chloe has to ask, but why kill him? And Dancer goes, she deduced my yearning and I'm like, no! (laughs) Ah, we said the words again. Ah, I thought it was over. (laughs) And she ends this with, I'm not spending the next sixth season with my main prop as a stripper pole. As a reaction to that, Chloe uses the stripper pole to kick her unconscious. Yes, that was so fucking amazing. And so the scene ends with Lucifer showing up and confirming that, yeah, he arrived quite early, but he saw that she had this handled, which I really liked that he did not feel the need to step in because Chloe handled this. Definitely appreciation station. And then we have this conversation that Chloe says she feels powerless due to the whole gift of God. And this is where I start having an issue with the perception of everyone when it comes to the gift of God, because Chloe is everything but powerless. In fact, she is the only one with power over Lucifer because he is in love with her. And all of this is in no small part due to the fact that she is immune to his power, which we assume is because she is the gift of God, but we don't actually know. And that's the thing. Neither Lucifer, nor Chloe, nor Amenadiel, nor us know what being a gift from God actually entails. And someone needs to tell her that. Someone needs to tell her that we don't know. Her parents wanted a child and God made it happen. That is all we know. And someone needs to tell her that. Because the way it is perceived by her is that because she exists, she loves Lucifer and he loves her. And we don't know this. This is assumption. And this is my issue. I understand why is the, why it's an issue to you, but I also think she is coping with a new information. Oh, I'm not blaming Chloe. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not blaming... I'm blaming Lucifer. Lucifer needs to be like, okay, wait a minute. I had a year to process this. So please consider A, B, C, D, E. 
I'm not blaming Chloe because Chloe just learned this like three hours ago. She doesn't have the capacity to go through it this way. I don't think you can blame Lucifer for this. Yes, I can. Because I don't think Lucifer have gone through that entire conversation within himself. So Or with Linda. Yeah, he should have. Obviously he should have, but I don't think he did. He has a fucking therapist who's amazing. So yes, I can blame him. Does Linda know? Yes, because they talk about it in the first therapy session. Oh, okay. I, just, I was just like, suddenly I stopped myself and was like, actually. <laughs> yeah, Lena knows. They should have talked about it, definitely, more. That's why I blame Lucifer, because he should have been more prepared for this. The latest after he talks to Linda. In his defense, I think that he genuinely thought that he would keep it away from Chloe forever. Yes, which is understandable, but still. Denial. No, this is where I place the blame solely at Lucifer's feet, because he had a year to process this, and Chloe did not even have a day. So... I have zero blame towards Chloe. And I actually expect her, because super Chloe, to come to certain conclusions by herself, even without Lucifer helping. But I expected better from Lucifer because he has grown so much and because he has Linda. So just wanted to do my rant here so I don't have to do it at the end. Yes, that is that is definitely our right to feel that way. So in the next scene, so I'm tired of differentiating between Linda's office and Linda's house and stuff because it's not technically just Linda's house. We still need a name for Linda's mazes and the Menadiel's home. And Maze, first thing in the scene addresses the health thing which I appreciated so so much because this is exactly what we have been asking when it comes to Ella for someone to remember something that had been said and then ask the follow up question and Mace does exactly that with Linda however Linda deflects the question even though she's very drunk and she in immediately turns it around at Mace and starts asking about her issues which like you know on one hand Fair enough. But also, Linda! You should know better. And then May starts crying. And I just want to hug her. The performance of Leslie Ann in this really got me. Because her going through this and her counting down all these people that have left her and also the real life connection because abandonment issues are not a really uncommon thing especially in our nowadays society with everything being very fast and your parents basically needing to have two jobs to even be able to provide for a family because who nowadays can afford to just have one working parent so both of your parents are working usually full time you and your siblings are super busy with school and outside of school activities like everything is so much in motion that creating proper connection with people is already made very difficult. And then add to that so many different topics that come unrelated to this. Abandonment issues are a real, real thing. And they are so no fun to deal with because we all inherently have this need to feel needed and wanted and appreciated. And then to get struck down by life and get again and again confirmation that you are neither needed nor wanted is really really hard and even if you have one person like Mace has Linda which is the exception that doesn't really help because our brains tend to focus and zone in on all the negative stuff so every negative experience is going to be magnified in your brain and the fewer positive experiences are going to have such a hard time fighting against this and so Leslie Ann's performance in this with this very real and very existing issue really got to me because when Maze is being played emotional holy shit does it hurt 
And I think we're both pretty much the same when it comes to feeling relatable to what she's saying and describing. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, um, let's move on to the next scene because I don't like talking about emotions. In the penthouse. Has the expensive coffee machine in the background, which ever since you pointed it out, I cannot not notice. It's beautiful. It's just so hilarious to me because I never focused on it. But since you pointed it out, I see it every time. I'll send you some links and some pictures. No, thank you. Okay, I'll send it in a Discord to our patrons. Better. Because I need somebody to appreciate it with me. Because it's a beautiful piece of machinery. And so Lucifer does what most of us have been doing during COVID, which is coming home and getting a drink. <laughs> but while he's getting a drink, he hears the potentially worst sound possible, which is the wing sound, which can only mean two people. Flop, flop, flop. Michael or Amenadiel. So both is gonna suck because if Amenadiel abandoned his post in hell, can't be good, or it's Michael and it is not good. And he turns around and it's Michael. I don't think Ames would be much of an option because Ames is guarding hell for his son. Imagine if something happened in hell. Oh yeah, of course. That would be... Hell's burning. <laughs> no news there. <laughs> Sorry. <gasps> oh, it's so funny. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it is actually Michael and I'm sorry. He should not dress himself. His clothing is so bad. We have agreed in the last episode, I believe, that Michael has certain personal journeys to go through. Yes, and one is his clothing style. That is definitely part of it. But it's so bad. Like seriously, I can't get over it. I'm sorry. You never pay attention to clothing. What the fuck, Lina? But he looks like, seriously, he looks like a grandpa. Yes, you just need to give him a little pipe in one hand and a little diary in the other and it's gonna yes. be perfect maybe a little like a like a little Sherlock or like the, you know the Irish traditional he needs the head Jensen wears as Michael yes yes that's exactly what I'm thinking yes yeah see it's Michael it would make sense it is very Michael so uh, I was not a big fan of Lucifer's first reaction being insulting Michael immediately because we have learned something in the last episode and that's if you're gonna post Michael with a stick he's gonna poke you right back yeah but also Lucifer is super annoyed that he had to come up here and fix all of Michael's shenanigans well so. of course and I don't blame him same way as I don't blame Chloe for confronting him the way she did in the last episode and I well I kind of blame Amenadiel for confronting him in Lux after that but the same way I don't blame Chloe I don't blame Lucifer also Michael calls him Samael it's also a very very good direction from Michael to attack Lucifer because attacking his free will is the lowest of the low blows that you can ever deliver at Lucifer. So now we're gonna have to talk about this. I'm gonna try to keep this short. Uh, do we need to talk about it? Yes. I hate this. I don't believe it and I hate it. If they decide to go with this as it's actually true, I'm gonna go on a complainathon. If this is simply a play of Michael or Lucifer's fear that his free will is not actually free will, then chapeau and I'm gonna draw my hat. If they're actually gonna run with this, I will go on a hill and have a very lengthy monologue on why. No, I'm not gonna do it now because we have no confirmation either way, but Fair warning to you and our listeners. Thank you, I appreciate that. I think personally that Michael is smart enough 
to know that this is exactly what will fuck Lucifer up the most. And that would be awesome. And to add to that, there is no way for Lucifer to prove otherwise. So once Michael gets in his head, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It matters to me. Well, it matters to you, but it doesn't matter in the situation. It doesn't matter to Lucifer. It doesn't matter in the reaction. Which is what gives Michael the power, of course. This is why it's such a smart move from him. And as much as I hate the move, I love the villainous of the situation. I love how smart Michael actually is. Another thing in the scene that I need to talk about for a short moment is Tom Ellis fighting Tom Ellis. So if, if we are actually entering the fight, I get very excited. There is a song that goes with the fight. It's unfortunately a YouTube-only song, and it's by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club called Bandung Hum. Don't ask me what the name means. I don't know. And apparently that is something really curious because there is a whole segment about this in IMDb. About the song? Yeah, and the band, which I didn't understand, which is why I didn't include it. So if you want to read up on it, go to IMDb, please. So funnily enough, Amazon credits Tom Ellis twice in the scene as Michael and as Lucifer. Oftentimes when an actor plays two characters, you're gonna have a slash. But here he gets two tiles, Tom Ellis, Michael, Tom Ellis, Lucifer Morningstar. Deservingly so. So Tom Ellis fighting Tom Ellis, this has been done before. And this is a personal pet peeve. I never liked this because... If you don't happen to have a twin that they can use in scenes like this, these fight scenes are made up of so many cuts because that's the only way to shoot them. Because you can never have both people properly in the frame at the same time because one always has to be a stunt double. And I am not a fan of these high number of cuts in these one-on-one close-up fights. So this is a personal pet peeve and I still enjoyed their fight. But I wanted to point it out that... Why doesn't Tom Ellis have an actual twin? Okay, well, fair enough. I actually, I think that considering that it's just one actor in uh, that, it's well done. It's a good craft. Also, it's hilarious. Also, it's hilarious. And I Don't get me wrong. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> what I really appreciate in this is that Lucifer takes off his jacket at the start. So he is white and Michael's dark. So it's much easier for us to follow the fight. Also, it fits their respective wing color. Of course, that's something that I didn't even think of because Michael's not wearing black. He's wearing tweed jacket, which is kind of brownish, corresponding to his wings. Thank you for pointing that out. I should more often not take time to prep, it seems. <laughs> nice. It's just technically very well done and there is a lot of emotions in this scene and Tom Ellis just he does as good of a job as he can it's very very good like this is something that I would like to ask Tom Ellis how shooting this scene was because everything must have been done repeatedly so that they could get all the angles and this must have taken a lot of choreography and practice so this is something that I would be interested on putting on a list questions for Tom Ellis. For sure. This is something I, I'm pretty sure that it's something that he would be asked a lot. Maybe someone else is going to take this question off our hands. But for sure, it is something that would be very interesting to see because it's something that is done on telly all the time, but it's always difficult to do it in a fight because it's so physical. It's different if you're just sitting at a table and you just have somebody sitting there for the other person and then you swap around because 
because you don't have to remember the exact movement or know the exact sequence of movements or anything like that. So yes, I agree. And then the fight is over and Lucifer overpowers Michael and he grabs the knife from the column. Jacob's knife! Now I have to do a short comic lore insert. Ooh. Because the scar that Lucifer gives Michael in the comics is actually given to Lucifer by Mezzakine. In the comics, they are lovers because Chloe doesn't exist in the comics. And Lucifer at some point has to leave her to fight God. And a heartbroken Mezzakine slashes his face. And she tells him that he will always look at this scar and remember that she loved him. And if he ever removes it, it would make him a coward. And Lucifer proves that he loves her and that he isn't a coward by keeping it and never removing it. That's beautiful. And that is such a wonderful side note. Well, speaking of beautiful and painful things. The transition. What transition? The transition. So the cutting of Michael's face happens off screen and Michael screams and the screaming morphs into the kettle whistling in a next scene and holy shit that was so well done that's a classic that was so well done I fucking love it Lucifer enters Chloe's apartment and my first <laughs> my first note is well at least they're talking but I appreciate the fact that they are trying to communicate or Lucifer is trying to communicate it doesn't seem to be very productive but they are trying to have a conversation they're trying to get over it and or maybe not over it yet but like they're trying to get through it and it is very disheartening seeing chloe struggling this much the thing is chloe needs more time she did not have a full 48 hours and i understand that lucifer has a certain need to solve this in a timely fashion because he needs to get back to hell. There is a reason why he went to hell in the first place and yes, Amenadiel is watching the place but Lucifer is acutely aware that every day he spends on Earth is going to be so much longer for Amenadiel who is going to be away from his son because Linda reminded him of this and Lucifer actually does care. So I do understand that Lucifer has this need to get this sorted but he needs to give Chloe more time and then Chloe says something that was really really painful but also very understandable because she said I thought what we had was real and I don't blame her for the lashing out she does before that because it's completely understandable and very human but this sentence is so harsh and I feel so bad for both of them because saying this gotta hurt Chloe and hearing this gotta hurt Lucifer. And we don't get any resolve on this because we change scene, but we stay at Chloe's, which confused the hell out of me. Yeah, where is Chloe? And why is Michael there? Because I immediately knew there was a Michael because you can, one, you can see his collar. Stop reading my notes because my notes are, that is Michael. Why is Chloe not home? Why is Michael there? But yeah, well, I think that a very good answer to that question is that he just wants to fuck some more shit up because he is pissed as hell at Lucifer. And Mace has gone through her journey and stuff and she was ready to apologize and she was accepting a lot of things and I was glad for that. But that also means that she is quite emotionally raw when Michael approaches her. So she is extremely perceptive to manipulation 
situation as we have talked about. Also, he says exactly the right thing in the worst way possible because he's like, there is a secret. I'm not going to tell you because you're not going to believe you, but I can tell you how you can learn it yourself. And that is the worst. Well, it just seems that he has decided to just go around every single person that Lucifer cares about. And it seems like he's going to fuck up each relationship separately and he's not doing it pretending to be Lucifer anymore which is even worse because now he's gonna be using his own terrible knowledge and power and everything that he has to hurt Lucifer and it's gonna be way more effective if he's not gonna be pretending anymore yeah because now nothing holds him back yeah that's progress right for him no (laughs) it's progress for us because this is gonna escalate shit as might have been very obvious during the recording of this episode I was very annoyed with several things but I am willing to trust them to turn it around once again because they have done this in the past but the whole gift from God stuff with Chloe is understandable since it's a huge thing to learn for her about yourself but there are so many assumptions being made without anyone actually knowing anything so I do hope this gets realized and verbalized at some point Mace being so fucking lost and lonely that she once again seems to be willing to listen and trust in Michael, despite knowing that he is a horrible creature and manipulating her, is just straight up painful, even though it makes sense. Ella still being ignored by everyone around her, including the writers, while being the go-to person for crisis questions, is still on the top of my list, and I am starting to lose my patience. Lucifer actually trying to listen, at least to Chloe, is very sweet. And I heard for him being now stuck in the Chloe does not believe our feelings are real loop. But I hate, 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 hate with a passion the Michael manipulated me from the beginning of time. No. And the pseudo parallel that Lucifer was trying to draw with Chloe also... Big, no, really bad, bad behavior by Lucifer. I think this was my main complaint about his behavior in this episode. The scar on Michael's face is wonderful and beautiful. I fucking love it and I really appreciate it. Though I kind of feel like Lucifer should have done this like a few millennia ago since apparently Michael often impersonated him in the past and it seems like such an obvious resolution to make sure your twin cannot pretend to be you. But maybe that's just me. I love every single thing about Dan in this episode, his reasoning for the New Age stuff, his interactions with and his reaching out to Lucifer, his acting, everything. I adore this man and I adore this character so much. He's precious and he is my number one. Let's see where we're going. I am starting to be skeptical and I seriously hope episode four is going to turn everything that I worry about around. Well, as entertaining as the case of the week was... It was, again, utterly unimportant. So unimportant, I completely forgot to keep it in my general Yeah. Notes. We can now focus on the main plot as well, then. I agree with absolutely adoring Dunn. And even though I struggled a little bit at the start, because it felt like his behavior has changed significantly after the interactions that he had with Michael last episode. So I wasn't really... He was very suspicious of everything that Michael did. And suddenly he was all about, you know, becoming friends with Lucifer. So it was just kind of slightly inconsistent at the beginning. But other than that, everything was great. You have said it. I need Ella to talk a bit more 
because please, 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 somebody give her attention. At least one person. Mace is clearly going through a big emotional journey, which we have talked about is making her prone to be manipulated. Don't like it, still not a fan of that. Why is she ever listening to what people who already have hurt her and lied to her? And it's not even that long ago. She did the same thing with Pierce. She got manipulated by Pierce and then immediately went back to him and got tangled into yet another of his plans. So, been there, done that. That is actually true and I give you that and you're right and I forgot about that part. Michael is an amazing villain I love him as a villain. I am enjoying hating him very much so. (laughs) Even more so than Pierce? Yes, because Pierce, you could see why he is the way he is. Michael, yes, I can also see why he is the way he is, but he is much more of an asshole more often. So there's less of uh, muddied waters, you know? Also, he's more responsible for the position that he's in. Yes. So much more enjoy <laughs> hating on Michael because it's the pure hate. We've talked about this in the last episode. It's the pure hate. And lastly, I need to address Deckerstar. I have faith they will get through this. They can do it. If anybody can do it, they can do it. And at least once that's done, there is no more hidden secrets between them. No more hidden surprises. I actually don't remember, so I don't know if there's more secrets. I would be very much surprised if there would be anything, because if there was anything, we would have seen it. And you would have pointed it out on a number of occasions. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your trust in me. And with this, we say thank you for listening. Please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards, such as early release, merch, and hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us, because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank Thank you! you. Bye. Bye!